Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we are excited to be connecting you to people and stories in and related to Israel to give you a window to look through about aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topics anytime. Or feel free to be in touch with us at genesis123.co. Also, please share this with other people who you know who will also find it of interest. Today is a very special bonus program that was pre-recorded as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation and Inspiration from Zion webinar series, also by the same name. Please join us for other aspects of uh, life here in Israel and programs through the Genesis 123 Foundation and Inspiration from Zion webinar series and be in touch with us at genesis123.co or inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. This one, I feel that, that at least we in Israel and, and certainly our, our panelists today um, who have their hand on the pulse tremendously, um, this, is not, this is not something we've prepared for. It's something that's in the he- headlines daily. It's ripped right out of the headlines uh, on, on, a, on a regular basis. Iran, all options on the table. And, uh, and let me take a minute to introduce our two really special uh, panelists and, and thank them for, for joining. In alphabetical order, um, Elliot Chodoff is a major in the, uh, in the Israeli army. He is a 35-year military veteran and political, uh, political and mili- military analyst, excuse my stumbling, um, specializing in the Middle East and the, the global war on terror. He's a decorated officer with a long and prestigious career, a respected speaker, and a frequently published commentator in a wide range of major news sites and journals. He's currently completing his PhD in international relations at Bar-Ilan University. Elliot is a New York native. He moved to Israel in in, in 1983. He is also a licensed tour guide, unfortunately not very busy uh, on that level. I've been told uh, to last, change my profession. Until the last two years, so we go for a PhD, right? Always jump into academics. Um, he's a licensed tour guide, and he leads educational tours throughout is- Israel. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Elliot, this is your third time back uh, joining us. The first time was very impromptu, and we we had a conversation about a different aspect of uh, of tension in the Middle East when we, we didn't even know that peace was breaking out. And today... We're not even talking about peace breaking out, but potentially the opposite. Things are very, very different. You'll find Elliot to be engaging and incredibly knowledgeable. And Elliot, welcome back. It's great to have you. Good to be back. Um, Dr. Joseph Ulmert is an adjunct professor at the University of South Carolina, whose academic career spans more than three decades. He was previously a professor of Middle Eastern Studies at Tel Aviv University, Hebrew University, and Bar-Ilan Universities here in Israel, and has also taught at Cornell, American University, City College of New York, and York University in Canada. In addition to his academic work, Dr. Ulmer has served senior Israeli government positions, including Director of Communications, 
to Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir, and the advisor to Defense Minister Dr. Moshe Ahrens. Dr. Olmert served dipl- uh, diplomatic missions across the world and was a participant at the 1991 Madrid Peace Conference. Um, newsflash, in case you don't remember, peace did not break out, uh, break out from that, and, a sub- and the subsequent Israeli-Syrian uh, peace talks. He's published three blame, books. Blame the negotiators, you know. I'm sorry? <laughs> blame the negotiators. Blame the negotiators. <laughs> okay, well, we can blame the negotiators, blame the Syrians. Um, <clears throat> he's published three books and numerous articles in academic publications, as well as a wide range of social media outlets. This is my first time having Dr. Ulmer as a guest with us, but I have to tell you, and this is not, this is not rhetoric, frequently I wake up in the morning and I get my news from a social media post of his. He has his hand on the pulse of everything and his insights I always find are spot on, very short and concise and really engaging in just a a very simple but insightful way. But it's a special pleasure to have him here with us today because uh, back in the 1980s in my junior year in college, he was one of my uh, professors uh, at Tel Aviv University. So I'm thrilled to have you join us and I just hope that I'm not getting graded. And last, who I hope you won't see till the very end, um, Dr. David Pitcher is joining us from New Mexico. Um, he is, is uh, a, a good friend of advisory board member of the Genesis 123 Foundation, and he's standing in as my understudy in the event that the internet here goes down, and he'll be closing us out either way with a prayer and uh, an offering. So gentlemen, let's jump in. Um, a, a, a quick overview. Uh, overseas, I, I follow uh, some of the overseas media. Um, the news about Iran is, uh, today is very limited, if at all. However, in Israel, it's the daily feature, and it's almost like the weather. We have the weather report. We have the Iran, Iran report. Uh, last week, I happened to check. I, I, I still only read the English newspapers most of the time. The Jerusalem Post, the Friday weekend paper, had 10 separate articles about different aspects of Iran, negotiations with Iran, the threats from Iran and its proxies, Iran's options and possible responses. And leading up to that, President Herzog made an uncharacteristically blunt statement about Iran, uh, saying that, that Israel will keep all options on the table. But most unique about that, I think, was that he did it while receiving the credentials of the new United States ambassador to Israel. Uh, since then, and, and literally not a day has gone by in the news here that Iran has not been mentioned in one of these aspects. And this week, um, I think probably most people following know, if they haven't, we will send them information about it. The Tehran Times, the Tehran's English newspaper, published a front page article and headline with a map of hundreds of red dots indicating their targets here in Israel. And I even spoke to a rabbi about that, who's writing something relating to Israel's biblical obligation to defend itself, if it comes to that, so the world will see our defense as biblically justified. Why, why are we having all of this recent harsh talk from Israeli leaders across the spectrum, but especially from, uh, from, from Pre- uh, President Herzog at this time? Can either of you, maybe we'll start in this, at this point, we'll start in alphabetical order. Uh, Elliot, uh, allow, like allow to... me to start. Okay. Uh, I think, Jonathan, look, we have heard, <clears throat> we have had waves, I put, put it this way, of uh, 
Israeli publications, utterances, speeches, uh, what have you, about Iran in the last 10 to 15 years. And this is another one of them. The timing, of course, is connected with the resumption of the nuclear deal talks in Vienna and the inability in Israel, which is in itself is a big problem, to understand what exactly is the Biden administration policy and where do they go uh, with their intentions to uh, rehabilitate, in a way, the old Iranian deal, maybe with some changes and all that. So at this stage of the game, put it this way, I would argue that we are still not different than what we used to be before in terms of the rhetoric. The fact that the president said what he said is because he said it, you know, in the ceremony when the American ambassador uh, was received by him, which is, you know, we talked to America in the first place. That's the country that we talked to. But I want to uh, make a little point here before I uh, give it to uh, Elliot about the difference you emphasize between what they say in the world about Iran and what they say in Israel. And I think that this is the saddest, even a tragic aspect of the situation. And I just wrote an article about that, you know, that is going to be published any minute now by the Palenbeet Center for Democracy, which I am a senior fellow of. Yes, there is a problem here. We have made a great deal of work in terms of publicizing the Iran problem. And I should say Netanyahu as prime minister was responsible for that. That's his achievement about it. The world is not on board with us about that. The world is not on board with the Jews when the Jews really genuinely express fear about their existence. And that's something that has to do with history And that is something that is also connected to the way of thinking of many Israelis, but also the Israeli leadership. The way they look at Iran is not just the immediate situation, but history and context and all that. And the world does not look at it this way. And it is not a failure of Israel that the world doesn't look at it this way. It is a problem that we have had throughout our history. And I don't see a difference between that and other periods in our history in which we felt something very big is about to happen, as opposed to the indifference of the world. The last very brief point here, look, the Iranians don't threaten any other country. They threaten only us, you know. So obviously, in that sense, one can argue, look, I mean, they threaten Israel, so the Israelis make a lot of fuss about it. The real problem is the world is not on board with Israel about Iran. And that would have ramifications also about a possible solution. Ah, so before Elliot jumps in, thank you for that, 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 that I want to put this question out but not answer it now, but during the context of our conversation. If the world isn't on board anyway, then it doesn't matter whether they're on board or not. We're going to do what we need to do or not do what we need to. Elliot, you want to Then the world will okay. be on board. <laughs> and the world yeah, won't be years, on board anyway. Ten, ten years later, like they were with Iraq. Okay. Well, um, I'll t- very briefly, remember 1981. That's my point. And the story is to how Menachem Begin did what he did. I heard it from a former advisor of President Reagan. He died in the meantime, a very good Jewish guy, Jewish Bucher, you know. And he explained to me what happened. And he said, look, Reagan condemned Israel and the Security Council in 1981. And yeah. later, late Ambassador Jenkins Patrick said it was the only time she was ashamed of voting the way she did in the Security Council because she was so pro-Israel. Wow. The point I'm trying to make to you is until the 7th of June, 1981, nobody paid attention. 
Right. And then they did because of what Israel did. And Iraq was a small matter compared to what may happen sure. with Iran. That's my, the my, point, my point was that 10 years later, they were very happy that what had happened 10 years oh, earlier. Yeah. 10 days later, I would say. Okay, but certainly 10 years. Certainly. Uh, first of all, let me start by saying I, I agree with every word you said. Joseph, I, I'd like to broaden it, though, because I think that there is a broader and deeper issue, and I, and I certainly identify with the Jewish one. I think that the fact that the, the Jewish people are the ones who are being specifically threatened exacerbates a situation that exists anyway. The world does not, the Western world, the secular West, if you, if you will, does not understand religious fanaticism. They don't understand Khomeinism. They, they don't get that you can be a, an absolute fanatic in goal and still sit down and have coffee and make believe you're a diplomat at the same time. And there's a total disconnect on that. We saw it, and, and we see it across the boards. I, I, we see it with, with, uh, with the Muslim Brotherhood. We see it with, with the Taliban. Uh, and, and we certainly see it with, with the Khomeiniist regime in Iran, which is, which is one of the flagships of, of this problem. So when they say what they say, when, when an Iranian leader says, our primary goal is to annihilate Israel, so A, I agree with you, the fact that it's Israel means nobody really cares. But at the same time, they don't believe it because nobody can really mean that. And here, I, I can use Hitler analogies and, and, and advisedly. Okay, so I, I think that's, that, that's an important point that's lost on the secular liberal West. Uh, Elliot, look, you yes. made a great point, and I would invite you to be a guest speaker in one of my courses, you know, because I do explain to students about the difference of outlooks in the Western world as opposed to the Middle East and all that. I'll be in the States in March. Well, okay. <laughs> you can do it by Zoom anytime, but look. Anytime. Uh, let me expand a little bit on that. It's not just that the world doesn't believe something like that. It is that the world has its own reasons not to believe, because let's face it, a lot of those countries have a vested interest in Iran staying the way Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. And I'm... the problem really is, therefore, is a multifaceted for Israel, because we really are going here against the current of thought on many levels. Yes, And this is therefore not a question of Asbara. You know, Israelis like to talk about the lack of Asbara. There is no Israeli Asbara, of course, you know, but that's not the problem of Asbara. It's a problem of a complete misjudgment of situations. And it leads me to the last point here, and this is also about nationalism. The Iranians don't just work as a Muslim Shihi state. They also Pers work Persian as... Imperialism. Exactly. And even that is not understood as well in the rest of the world, but it's understood. And that might be one of the solutions in the Middle East. The Arabs understand it. Yes. And that's a question that we may have to discuss further in this uh, session, because paradoxically, the ones who can understand Israel better are the Arabs rather than the West. Because and that is part of the overall philosophical change that is taking place in the Middle East, which Jonathan, you uh, rightly so referred to in your introduction. 
the Saudis understand, the UAE understand, the Bahrainis understand, the Iraqis understand. And you know what? Even Bashar Assad understands. And I tell you, somebody else who understands, and you'll be surprised to read it, Vladimir Putin. Yes. Uh, he understands it. What when, he does is something else, but he understands when, it. Joseph, when I speak to American groups, I explain to them that one of the differences in our understanding of history between Israel and America is that what America calls history, we call the late modern period. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. And, and, anyway, but I... I, I, I want to make two other other points um, be, beyond the, the 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 secular not understanding the religious driving force. I think it's important to understand we've been in war with Iran in, on one way or on one level or another for over thirty years and almost forty years via Hezbollah, which is, I think, very commonly mistermed a proxy of Iran. Hezbollah is not a proxy. It's a wholly owned subsidiary. Uh, But today we're fighting Iran on four fronts, primarily, and there are some peripheral ones, with Hezbollah and trying to prevent them from upgrading. And that's that's an ongoing, that's that's a nightly operation that's going on at Uh, the moment. Right. Okay. We're stop, trying to stop Iran from gaining more power and more presence in Syria. And that's a whole subject in and of itself, because now, interestingly enough, the Russians and Assad have an interest, have, have an interest in Iran not gaining more power in Syria. Things have changed. That's why I mentioned what I mentioned about Putin. He understands yeah, Iran yeah, better absolutely. than others. Look, yet, yesterday the Iranians were his allies. Today they're his adversaries, or at least his competitors. Right. Well said. And at the same at the same time, we have the background story that's been going on for a couple of decades, at least, of the Iranian nuclear program. Now, the the publicity that we're seeing now, and Joseph, I agree with you here on that 100 percent. It's one of the one of the things that's causing the focus is the renewed ad- attempt for, to get America into the into the the. JCPOA, I, I can't even call it an agreement because it, it wasn't even that, but the JCPOA. And the Iranians, by the way, who've been, uh, the Persians, Persians have been selling carpets in the market for millennia. They know how to negotiate. Elliot, one second. Just for those following, JCPOA was the 2000 Iran deal. Iran, Iran deal, deal in Obama. In 2015, yeah. Okay. But at the same time, the Iranians are getting close to whatever you want to call it, breakout, close to nuclear weapons capability. In other words, there are two timelines that are converging now to a point. And what Israel is doing, whether it's through the president, the head of the Mossad making an unusual statement, I won't say unique, but unusual for the head of the a, a reigning head of Mossad to make a public statement, I make a personal commitment that Iran will not get nuclear weapons. That's that's quite a statement for someone like him. That's true, you know. But uh, here is wait, here wait. Is, let me let me let me finish sorry, my point. Sorry, yeah. Okay. Of course, Defense Minister Gantz going to Washington and 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 making the issue and so on. The address 
of all of these statements is not Iran. They don't care. They're barreling along their way. The threats to Iran are meaningless. This is Israel going on record primarily to the United States, secondarily to Europe and other, I'll say, neutralist countries, the abstainers, if you will, because our enemies are going to be enemies no matter what, so that if, when we have to go and do it, we will be able to get up and say, look, we warned you, we begged you, we cajoled you, you didn't do it, we told you we were going to do it, and we did it. (coughs) And the purpose of all of that is to mitigate the diplomatic damage in the aftermath. Look, that's all very true, and I will not be uh, criticizing anything that you said. Of course, you describe what others are doing. I mean, the leaders of Israel, but look, these talks has been, have been around for 15 years, particularly since Netanyahu took over and all the, you know, <laughs> the shows on UN and all that. Uh, I don't think, and that's a sad assumption on my part, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I don't think the Iranians are too terribly impressed with that. I'll be honest with you. I don't think they're the targets. Well, I, well, no, I don't think that they are really thinking that it is going to happen. That's how bad it is. I think that the overall element of deterrence is being shaped up by many factors. And unfortunately, on every statement that you hear from Israel, which you quoted there are two other statements by other people that contradict it and all that. And if the Iranians need to decipher all this, they might be confused, but we are also confused about deciphering them. I am impressed in a negative way by the resilience which the Iranians have shown throughout these years, by the determination. And by the way, the program is not 20 years. It's from 1987 from the time when they hired A.K. Khan, you know, the famous Pakistani who in the meantime Uh, managed to die, finally, you know. (laughs) And so you talk here about determination and resilience, even when there were presidents like Khatemi and uh, Rouhani and Rafsanjani, on the question of Israel, there was no debate, none whatsoever. And the Iranians continue to meddle in Yemen and in Iraq. You mentioned that in Syria and Lebanon, of course, and in Gaza and in the territories, by the way, to Dan Samaria. And they are acting as if it all goes on the side, despite all the protests in Iran itself. And there is, despite the fact that a lot of what's happening in Iran is not being done by Israel, it's being done by local Iranians. There are various ethnic uh, guerrilla groups and all that, you know. So the point to you, therefore, is, and it is maybe also to move the discussion a bit further, if I take the role of Jonathan here. Yeah, I'm going to (laughs) moderate. Yeah. We are in a situation where, the question that really has to be asked is, what is the level of the reliability or credibility of Israel? Because that's the question that everybody is asking, including, by the way, the Arabs in the Middle East, the Saudis and others. And I have a sense and I have an impression that too many those of those who are interested in the answer are not impressed with what they get from the Israelis. And that's a big problem. So so let's so let me come back in and bring it bring bring the conversation back just a drop 
We're talking about what, what Israel has done so far. And, 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 and Dr. Omer, I had never heard that there are other Iranian militias. I mean, obviously, we're not doing this all on our own. It's not thousands of Israelis. Well, there is the Mujahideen Halk, and there are the Kurds, right. and there are the Baluchis, and there are the Arabs in Khuzistan. <laughs> there are others. That's terrific. Now, I, I, I'm get, despite the success of the, uh, one, the, the short-lived uh, TV drama from, uh, from Israel called Tehran, which was very dramatic. The, the sense is, of course, Israelis are going to go into Iran, Iran and work with locals and try and make things happen. Mike, before we get into the big question of whether Israel's reliable or not, um, and, and that kind of begs the question as to can Israel or will Israel um, actually attack Iran on its own if necessary, what about all the things that have been happening for the last 10 or, or, or 15 years um, the, the cyber attacks, the assassinations, have they been effective? And, and w- what's most effective? Or, or, or is that just like a bug on the Iranian shoulder? No, they, they've been effective in slowing them down, but not in setting them back. In other words, they're, they're making progress. They're continuously making progress, but their progress is slower than it would have been had nothing been done. And let me add to that, that that, it, that has a certain diplomatic boomerang as well, because it means that all of the projections that Iran will be in this place in five years or in this place in three years are being undermined and positively, but it, it sort of, it takes away the credibility. Now, anybody, and, and Joseph, I know that you know this, intelligence projections are always suffering from what I call the Prophet Jonah syndrome, uh, because th- there's there's always either explicitly or implicitly a bottom line that says, this is what's going to happen if we, if we don't do something. And if we do something, the whole projection is, is thrown off. That, that was the fly in the ointment, so to speak, of the Netanyahu PR campaign. He succeeded greatly in putting it on world agenda, but he failed because... The more he appeared in the UN and said it's the last minute, and the last minute was not there. And, 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 and we right, and we put yeah. it down. But, but beyond this, uh, Jonathan, to your comment and what Elliot said, uh, look, everything that is being done in Iran or against Iran to slow down, to make them think again, is welcome. And everything that you described and Elliot described has been greatly successful. But I'll say something now somewhat cynical. Uh, You have to establish a strategic goal. The strategic goal is to stop the Iranian nuclear program. We failed. In that one, we failed. If if I may, I think the the best way to categorize it, and I'll, I'll, I'll hand this back to you in a second, is that it's been a tremendous tactical success and a total strategic failure. Exactly. You even said total. I would just say, I okay. just intended to say, failure, you know, okay, no, no, yes. that's fine. Okay. No, if you agree with me, even to that extent, even better. Yes. But look, yes. And we did not coordinate anything in advance. So, you know, no. we failed. As I said, we failed strategically. And now it's too harsh to say we failed. We did not fail. Maybe the failure is objective. Maybe we cannot really stop the Iranian nuclear program. So therefore, when we consider options, and I say maybe, I don't say that I'm sure about that, but I say maybe. So maybe we have to consider really taking 
bolder steps to slow down. And even debt is not approved by the American friends of us. So can I interject Because, and ask what those bolder steps are? Okay, well, I, look, I was finishing my ITF service as a sergeant, unlike Elliot. So I'm not, I don't pretend to be, you know, I can think of some possibilities, but I would leave it to another discussion. But look, the point really is strategic. First of all, we want to stop the Iranian nuclear program. We failed to do so. B, who can stop it? And if we decide that somebody else should do it with us, then maybe the question is, what are we going to do in order to coordinate with the other side? And that's where, by the way, without being pro-Rante Netanyahu, that was his biggest failure diplomatically. Yes. That while he rhetorically put it on the agenda, with all the pitfalls that we discussed, he failed to establish an alternative diplomatic solution or roadmap, if you will, to the Americans. And therefore, many Americans, even today I heard an American uh, talking on uh, the IDF radio station, uh, Western Post military commentator, whatever, he said, look, what's the alternative? Do you have another alternative other than military? And the fact of the matter is that the Barrett government as well has not established yet an alternative that could provide a basis for the other powers to come to the Iranians and do whatever. Will it succeed? I doubt. But if you really want to feel that I've done everything possible, you need to do that as well. Elliot? I agree. I think, first of all, the military option, any military option, has got to be the last resort Uh, if Clausewitz said that war is an extension of policy by additional means, I, since I've taught Clausewitz a bit for the past 30 years or so, That's um, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll add a, a commentary to that. War is what happens when policy runs out and, and, and it fails in, in, on every, in every other way. In other words, it's not a first option, it's a last option. But It has to be part of the package and not the package. So, so what, what, what's, what else is in the package, Elliot? We're, we're now sitting okay. in the end of 2021. It's seven years since the, since the first agreement was signed. We've got now yeah. two new presidents of the United right. States and a new government in Israel. Okay. So first of all, let, let, let's be honest and direct about this. Sanctions are important, but they're not going to work in and of themselves as long as there are escape hatches, whether they're China or Russia or Venezuela. Uh, it will, sanctions are the diplomatic equivalent of what we are doing clandestinely in the cyber world and that sort of thing. In other words, they'll hurt, they'll push. Uh, I, by the way, I personally don't believe that Iran is on, on the verge of internal change. I don't, I don't see the Iranian revolution happening. I think that's a lot of CNN-style hype. Um, and, and here I'll add, even going back to the demonstrations of a few years ago, uh, one, one of my numerous iron laws is that revolutions and uprisings succeed 
when the rebels have more people willing to die than the regime is willing to kill. And the Iranian regime is willing to kill a lot of people. See note Syria. Uh, regimes will hold out. And, and in Iran, the opposition knows that. And they're not willing to die in droves and lose. Uh, but squeezing them has its, has its own impact. Once again, it also has it, it, its own internal diplomatic impact. In other words, if you've tried everything else and it doesn't work, it gives you greater internal legitimacy to move to the military option. Now, I personally, and, and uh, here, Joseph, I, I agree with you in the process, but I, I think that it's an ultimately failed process. Um, I don't believe that we will ever convince the Iranians to give up either on their nuclear aspirations, their imperial aspirations, or their annihilate Israel aspirations. I think those are deep, hardwired. They're 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 part of their 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 their, their visceral existence. Um, which means ultimately, after you've tried everything, if they're still around and still doing it, which I think they will be, you have to have a military option and a credible one. The failure here, and we're seeing it now at the moment is that even though we've talked, we've talked about it for over a decade, nobody actually sat down and planned it until this past six months or so. Okay, so, hey, look, but, but here is, look, but here is the problem. The problem comes back to us because we started a discussion with the premise that you, Jonathan started and you repeated it and I echoed it as well, that the world doesn't look at Iran the way we do. Correct. That is to say... And we failed, don't blame this, don't blame that, doesn't matter who is to be blamed for, we failed to convince America to do what we wanted her to do under three presidents now, including yes. President Trump, by the way. He did not want a military strike against Iran. He did not want. He did not want. Netanyahu wanted it. He did not want. So the point really is back to the doorstep of Israel. And that is a strategic situation that requires strategic decisions. And I'll be very brief here. Decision number one is, do we really believe that Iran is on the verge of breakout towards developing a nuclear device? Second, do we really think that in that case, our only option is to be the only ones to stop it because others will not do it? C, can we do it? Great. Which is all the questions that... We can discuss here, but we don't know the answer to. I'll tell you this, and then the current Israeli leadership does not want a military strike against Iran. When I analyze the overall impact of what they say, what they don't say, who says what and who doesn't say what, and so on and so forth. America doesn't want a military strike against Iran. The Europeans definitely don't want the Russians, the Chinese, on the contrary, they are helping Iran for the reason they help Israel on other issues, but okay. So it really brings it again to Israel. If we are the ones who don't want a military strike, but we think that we may have to do it, I will leave you with this question. Do you really believe that we are going to do that? So, I doubt it. Okay. My, ultimately, I think the answer is yes, and I'll tell yeah. you why. Yes, that okay. we will. We will. Okay. 
because I believe that our leadership is also, and here Netanyahu, all the leadership, has been maneuvering around because we have not yet reached the point that Menachem Begin reached in 1981 where he was told, now, different parameters. I'm, I, I, I'm making a very narrow comparison here. But parameters have been established, and he was told, if we don't do it this week, next week it will be too late. Yeah, yeah. Within the parameters, they said, with different parameters. But the parameters that were established, either we do it now or next week, it will be online and we'll be hitting a nuclear reactor and not a building that is meant to be a nuclear reactor. Right. I think... And I, I believe this is true, not just with us. Leaders are going to push off the decision. It, it's not, I'm sorry, let, let, let me frame it this way. Going to war is never a good decision. It could be the right decision, but it's never a good decision. And you always want to push a bad decision, even if it's the right one, as far down the road as you possibly can. And I think that what, what we're seeing now in terms of, I don't want to overstate it and call it the hysteria, but the hysteria of the statements and, and, and the noise is that the leadership is beginning to feel that space tightening. Ultimately, I believe that when the intelligence people come and say, it's either do it now or next week it will be too late, I believe, I won't bet a lot of money on it, but I believe that at that point, the decision will be given, yes, do it. Now the question is, can we? Let me rephrase the question. Can we do it with only conventional weapons? Ah, there we go. Do you have any other? It is, uh, you know... (laughs) You are a bit, uh, don't take it as an offense, you are a bit younger than me, so I don't know. You know I, don't I, always know say much, to my students, I don't know how much younger. Well, you know, I don't, I always say to my students, you know, in 50 years' time, you will never even remember that you studied with me, so I can tell you whatever that will happen <laughs> in 50 years' time. If right. we talk here about 50 days or uh, what knows, God knows what, well, so we shall be held accountable. Look. You got the point that I raised, of course, because you are an expert. And, and the question that I raised are really, okay, if indeed the Israeli intelligence community believes that they are on the verge, the decision should have been already taken in Israel as to what to do. When exactly? Yes. That's another story. Correct. I would put it this way to you. A decision should have been taken. I doubt whether it was taken, and I doubt whether it would be taken. But again, we'll see. Okay. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't here, know. Here, I'm just telling you a sense that I have okay. based from, on uh, you from, know reading what, between the lines, hearing between the lines, and sensing between the lines. From from, from what I'm seeing, and I, I'm only going to say one brief half half sentence, and. As, as we say in Hebrew, Hamevin Yavin, he who understands will understand. Uh, I do my reserve duty in Northern Command yeah, yeah. in headquarters. Um, for the past more than a year, we have been practically preparing for, how shall I put this, the consequences uh, of what we're true. talking about. I understand, yeah, sure. And 
a huge amount, a huge amount of effort, meaning money, has been gone has gone into that. I don't believe that that's purely for cosmetic purposes. But but Elliot, preparing for the consequence, which I, I'd like to talk about if there's time, is very different from what Dr. Almer is saying about not being prepared for the the the, the action itself. So right, are we but, only preparing for no? But remember that Hezbollah, or are we also expecting wait, that there's going to be something? Very good question. Remember that that Northern Command or any command in, in the IDF is not operating in a vacuum. In other words, if it is getting budget from the general staff to do these things, it's doing it in the, in, in, in the understanding that the consequences will happen as a result of the decisions being made. In other words, if the decision isn't being made, the consequences... I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I want to clarify a little point here. Uh, I made a point which is more strategic than tactical because... A decision like that is not a decision that is being taken in one meeting or so. Correct. When we go back to Menachem Begin and I understand the operation that happened there, the decision he took was about February, March, 1981. Yes. That was the time he took the decision because that was the time when he stopped bothering the Americans about that. And the Americans felt like, aha, his bluff was called. Right. Of course, outsmarted them because it was more clever and you know what happened. But right, but we, also, but we also know that at that point, the Air Force was told, prepare this. Exactly. Now, the point that I'm trying to make here is a more political one, a more strategic one. And I simply doubt, I doubt, I'm not sure about anything because you know, we don't know enough. But I right. doubt whether the current leadership, or by the way, the previous leadership, for that matter, the same really came to the strategic decision that this is it and all that is happening now is basically, as you try to describe it, Elliot, more like the tactical preparations. And that's where we may have a difference of opinions here. A lot of times you can make all the tactical preparations and the decision is not there to fully implement them. I, I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, I witnessed it in 2006. Ah. It's one of the examples, yeah. Or Gaza. Take even Gaza now. Or all the other previous rounds. No, but the reason I say 2006 is because in June 2006, we did a three-week exercise preparing for the war that broke out three weeks later. Which, by the way, was raised in the Vinograd Commission, and that's why they came to the conclusion that the war was prepared better than what people thought it was. That's another story. Yeah, Yeah, but when when the war was going on, I can tell you that that we were joking in gallows humor, of course, as officers, that that Nasrallah was following our program better than we were. Okay, yeah, but that's he exactly was doing what everything that we predicted. He was doing everything that we predicted he would do, and we were doing nothing that we were prepared well, to that's do. That's exactly the point I was trying to make. We can prepare, and I'm sure that they do prepare. And there are great people that are preparing. I mean, that's not the point here. The question yes. really is a political, strategic I, question, I which is a much you. bigger one. It is also, look, it is an historic decision. Yes. It is a Jewish decision. Do yes. we really believe... And that's the point I started with. Do you really believe that they want to destroy us? Because if that's what we believe in, and I believe in it, I believe in it, we need to act. The question is about the leadership. 
And the current government is so complicated, so confused, so, you know, erratic. Anybody who anybody who doesn't believe it should simply read this book. Oh no no I I I understand no. that then, yeah. yeah No I'm not showing it to you I know you no, know I know I know yeah. <laughs> Show it to Jimmy Carter Yeah right Yeah So okay so we have a question there's not a debate as to whether from from this side whether the Iranians want to destroy Israel or not There's a question as to whether they have the capability yet and I'd like to take take that down a a path for a moment but then there's also a question as to whether we have the policy decision and or capability to handle it on our own. And we really haven't gotten into whether or not we would have partners. Elliot, you made a, a, a very good point that, that uh, the war is what perhaps ideally should happen when, you, when policy wears out. But, but what, what if we don't get that far? What, and how do we know? And, and our policy is very different from from the U.S. policy, you, uh, and I'm speaking specifically about U.S., we have a midterm election coming up. It's certainly weighing. It's not just a question of what people believe. It's a question of the broader circumstances. But it seems like there's a lot more rhetoric now. And, of course, it's about the uh, about the fact that we're having negotiations. Where does that leave us today? Are we... Are we... The, the, the ultimate question, and, and here, uh, <clears throat> Joseph, you and I are in, in full agreement up until the, you know, to the, that final point. And by the way, I'm not going to argue with you because I'm not 100% convinced that I'm right either. Okay? I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not 100% sure. Okay, that, exactly. Right? The question is... That's a and wanna, conversation. And no, if, if we want to put it into, you know, personality at this point, when the chief of staff and the minister of defense sit down in front of the prime minister and say, sir, here it is. And I I always say that all decisions come down to a, a very simple question, shoot or don't shoot? Okay, do we shoot or don't we shoot? And if we don't shoot next week, we will have a nuclear, nuclear Iran with a completely different strategic situation that will ultimately lead to us having to deal with a nuclear event. Now, whatever that means, but a nuclear event. Will the prime minister say shoot or don't shoot? I believe he will say shoot. I'm not going to bet a lot of money on it. We have two prime ministers now, as you know, and That's two governments. But that means, I want to be very cynical now, very cynical, because look, we talk about a very problematic situation. It's yes. not a nice situation where you can gloss it over with nice words. Look. Right. If the Iranians have more than one bomb, they have the advantage of, over us. You know why? Because Israel is too small to sustain even one bomb. Yeah, right. We're they a one-bomb country. They, they said so. They, they say so. And they are big enough to sustain more than one bomb. Yes. And that's cynical. That's bad. That's atrocious to say. But that's what it is. And it comes back to the question of what they really want to do, as you asked before. They want to destroy Israel. They believe in it. That's another yeah. question. Yeah. But look, the politics of Israel today is different than what it was under Menachem Begin. Menachem Begin was the leader of one government. There is, you know, there is no leader now. There are two governments. That, you know. I don't know. Look, the question really is coming to the word if, I and F. I, F. If 
it is really, and I emphasize if and really, the assessment of the entire intelligence community, and there is more than one body there, it's not just Mossad, it's military intelligence and other agencies, that they come to the prime minister and to the alternative prime minister, and I'm not saying it disrespectfully to him, and they tell them, look, this is it. Then they have to act. Then they have to act. My impression, and I keep saying it all the time, it's an impression because as an observer from the outside, what do we know? We only have impressions. Reading between the lines, as I said it already, sensing between the lines is that the government is not at that stage. At that and stage, make the decision. They won't make it. It's not at the stage where it is being told that this is okay. it. Okay. Correct. I and, agree with you. Absolutely not. So can I interject? Okay. And how, yeah. how do but we know? Is, but it, yeah, but here is the problem. Here is the problem. The Americans and others know it as well. And they therefore take with a grain of salt, if not even with a big glass of salt, a lot of what is being said in Israel. That, that's a very delicate game. Brinkmanship. Yes. As they call sure. it in the international kind of political science language. It's a very delicate game. It's a game of nerves. Right now in Washington, they care about Ukraine. They care about other issues. They don't care about Iran. That's not their main priority. Um, I'm, I'm, try- I'm reading the questions. I, I, I'm neglected at the outset to mention that people should write them, and they are. Um, and I'm grateful for that. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of great questions. And I'm, and I'm guessing we're probably not going to have time for all of them. I have a basic one. Um, the closest I got to serving in the military is walking up four flights of stairs at 40 years old. And as a, uh, as a newly arrived returning citizen and, and being dismissed. Um, but how, how do you, you both are speaking with tremendous confidence that the head of this and the head of that, and, the, and the, they're going to come to the prime minister. They're going to sit with the prime minister and the alternate prime minister are going to say, now is now today's the day. You have, you have two days. How do we know? I mean, it's not like okay. there's a website that the Iranians are posting how much excellent. rich nuclear. It, it's an excellent question. <laughs> let, 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 me, let me try to answer it very briefly because the, the, the real answer is very long. Most intelligence failures, think Pearl Harbor, think Yom Kippur, are failures of analysis, not of information. Uh, as a matter of fact, Pearl Harbor, the, the classic book on it written by w- Roberta Wallstetter, uh, she coined the term signals and noise. In other words, the problem isn't not enough information, it's too much information and not knowing what to do with it. By the way, 9-11 as well. 9-11, Barbarossa, the list is long. Strategic intelligence failure. It is more about analysis less about gathering and having the information. When intelligence services are told, these are the indicators that you are looking for, the chances of them seeing them are extremely high. In other words, and Israeli intelligence is very good in, it, in, in all of its aspects. In other words, if and, and here, I, I, without getting into the, the technical stuff, because stuff, it's above my pay grade and I don't understand nuclear physics anyway, okay? But when, when the nuclear people tell intelligence, look, when you see this, this is a red light. When you see this, this is a red light. 
and they're looking for it, I would bet a high, a large amount of money they will see it if it if it's there. Okay, right. that failure is is much, much, much less likely. So we finally come to an agreement. It brings it back to a political decision. Yes, right. for sure. Okay. No, so now, now I'd like to take it to, to, to the next level. I, we, we, we've sidetracked diplomacy for a little bit. But, but when, those, when those leaders of intelligence, Mossad, military intelligence, the Minister of Defense, come and sit down in, in whatever building they're going to have a conversation about this, the, the, the first response won't be, okay, get the planes gassed up. And I mean, maybe it will be, let's get it ready to go. But, but there's also got to be a phone call to the White House. Minimally, right? But no, that's not necessarily exactly the point. But that's look, it, it comes. Yeah, I believe so. Menachem Begin did not call the White House. June. He called right. them much earlier on. They didn't respond properly. He did what he did. Those guys will call the White House. And let's put it this way: there are different governments within one government in Israel. There will be different calls. Uh-huh. Let's look, we need to be, it's not about being partisan now, I'm for this government, for that government, I'm just reading what I read, that's it, I don't know beyond this. I detect a very significant difference of tones between what some people say, Menachem Begin was the only one who talked about Iran and Iraq at that time, it's too much, you know, differences, so let's not even come into the comparison, let's talk about now, they will call the White House. But they don't need to call the White House. The White House will know at any rate. <laughs> okay. Of course. They will know it. Look, they will know at any rate. I want to remind you, there was a guy called Bzizinski. was not exactly a Zion lover. <laughs> Before he died, when he talked about that, he said, we should send our planes to stop the inter-Israeli jets on air yes. if they go to attack Iran. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that this administration thinks exactly the way it is. But there are other ways for them to try and do it. Well, well, but the, the question that precedes that, when I said they're going to call the White House, you know, uh, Arlene Samuels asked a question, which I answered offline, because I, I, I've read, I believe it's the case, that we do not have the bunker buster bombs. To, to, I don't know do what it. we have or not. Let's not get what uh, I'm not sure about okay, anything. Like, but but to the extent, don't, don't, to the don't, extent get, into, we, don't get into that. That we do yeah, or exactly. don't need. Yeah. Fine. Then to the extent that we need or want the U.S. to participate, as uh, Gantz and, and and the head head of the Mossad just went to Washington, uh, partly to make that case. Will will there be a phone call to the the, the, the White House and say, okay, we we have we have. 36 hours. Are you prepared to join us? No. That won't happen? It no. doesn't work like this. And no, you no. know what? You know what the tragedy is? Not just the White House will tell you not to do. 60% of American Jews will tell you not to do it. Right. Okay. If not 70%. If, if, the white, if the Americans are informed, they will be informed as the planes are taking off. Okay. Of course, yeah. and if you inform them in advance, you lost it. Right. Can't trust anyone in a situation as delicate as that. But look, this is too tactical, you know. Look. Yeah, no, I agree with you. (laughs) Have we written off the the fact that the the problem look the prime minister of Israel, whoever he is at the time when the decision will be made, because there might be another one in the meantime, the decision that he's going to make is historic. Yes. It is beyond politics and strategy. It's really his understanding of Jewish history. Yes. 
And Menachem Begin understood Jewish history. And he said it. I don't want another million and a half Jewish kids. Yes. And he, he looked at it from a Jewish perspective. Uh, this is not just, it is, a, it is a decision that has to do with a lot. Because look, Elliot is right. There will be uh, reprisals from all kinds of, uh, it's, you know, it's going to so, be very, very delicate. And the decision, therefore, is a very big one. I, I you know what? I hope I'm wrong. I just don't see the current setup in Israel. Let, built up let, me, let, let me give you a, a certain optimistic historical. They didn't believe that Truman would do it either. Uh, yeah. Okay. But then it was Ben Gurion. No, no, no. You, you know, <laughs> no. No, I'm, I'm talking about dropping the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I know, I know, I know. But oh, 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 okay, okay, sure. But, but, but that was a part and, of and the, all, all I'm saying is. Here again, we're, we're, we agree on 1995, 98%. So currently we have this un- unusual government, this unique government with a prime minister and a deputy prime minister. And it's very easy to take... Alternate de- prime minister, alternate, not deputy. Alternate, not deputy. Excuse me. Uh, it's excuse different. Me. No, excuse me. Right, right. Correct. Thank you. Um, that's 10 points off my final exam. Five. <laughs> Anyway, um, we have we have this government. Now it's very easy to think from a default position that Naftali Bennett comes from the political right, and Yair Lapid does comes more from the center center left, and and therefore Bennett might be the one inclined. But but I'm curious to not getting into partisanship, but Yair Lapid speaks out very uh, abruptly as the as the son of a Holocaust survivor. Uh, do do either you okay, think yeah. that he might be even more? Understanding of the maybe maybe I I didn't I never mentioned names for a reason exactly because of what you said now maybe all I'm saying is that the prime minister whoever he will be and that's what I said Uh, unfortunately it won't be a she so I have to be he because it's either Bennett or Lapid you know Uh, today in the PC culture you have to be you know (laughs) the prime minister yeah the prime minister will have to make a Jewish historic decision it is like understanding of where the Jews stand in the world. Okay. Grand so, historical. I, yes, absolutely. Okay. So that so Elliot, you alluded to uh to it as far as um I, I don't remember how you said it. You you said it in your little coy way, and I and, and that's cute. But Israel has always had a policy of nuclear ambiguity. We don't right. have officially there are no nuclear weapons, and not only do we not have them, we won't be the first ones to introduce, introduce nuclear weapons, them. but but we won't be the second ones. Now, now, what would it, would it take a, a nuclear weapon I, and that decision to? I, 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 that that wasn't my point. Okay. My point. My point was that when you ask the capability question, the answer to the capability question, and and that's why I threw in conventional or not unconventional is right. the answer is built into who is answering the question. And, and there, Joseph, 100% agreement on that. In other words, the grander the historical understanding of what they're doing, the fewer constraints there will be on the methods used to do it. That's a nice formula, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know what, here, let me, let me put it a different way. If they're thinking properly, if they're thinking properly, they also have to ask themselves the question, 
we send the first strike and it fails. And 30, 40, pick your percentage of the aircraft, don't come back. We don't have a second wave capability with conventional weapons. Now, what do you do? Okay. And I'm not, I'm, I'm asking the question, not giving the answer. No, of okay. course. I mean, look, these are all, you know, but, but look, again, Ehud Barak, and again, not to criticize him, he just wrote that even if Iran has a nuclear bomb, they will not use it. And it reminds me that yeah, Dov Zakhar... He also said that Hezbollah wasn't going to fire... Well, okay, yeah. You know. Dov Zakhar, a great scholar and a very good uh, Jewish man, he wrote one time, way, way back, that even if Iran had it, only 10% chance they will use it. Only 10%. Look, this is bringing it back to the question of trust. And, you know, our history is don't exactly trust other people, you know. So therefore, I'm saying it has to be a decision. It's almost like apocalyptic decision. That that was my point. Yes, I agree. I understand. No, I'm just giving it another more dramatic maybe expression or melodramatic sound. There's another dimension that I want to bring in, even if we have a thousand percent confidence that we have the ability and can do it and have the justification to do it, any prime minister and defense minister who make that decision also know that there's going to be a massive repercussion from Hezbollah in Lebanon, at least. And that is a Jewish decision because it means two things. It means our country getting bombarded, even if even if we're able to stop a lot of them. And it also means, of, of uh, Elliot, I know you don't like the phrase um, uh, collateral damage, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage in Lebanon. Is it won't be collateral. It'll be direct. It'll be direct. We're, there will we're not going be Lebanon. Turn, look, uh, yeah. We're going in to turn a good part of like Lebanon. That, there Lebanon. will not be Lebanon, yeah. But is that, that, that's a part of the decision. My point is that, that there's no I, less... Absolutely. Whether it's planes flying and they come back or not, and Elliot has a great scenario that you depicted, or, 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 or a round B, um, there, there, this, this is more than just a... a, a Single that, linear attack. That, but that, that was my point earlier when I said that we are in, you cannot plan a strike against Iran without being fully prepared for at least the anticipated consequences, the unanticipated, unanticipated, who knows, but the anticipated consequences. And look, Hezbollah has not built up an arsenal, and my estimates are different from the official ones. I believe that they have something in the order of a quarter of a million rockets. Wow. Um, uh, their but, ability to shoot more than a few thousand is very doubtful. I mean, let's be... Uh, no, their ability to shoot more than a few thousand is very high at this point. I'm not if, sure about that. But that depends on what, what we do, as opposed to what we did not do. I, look, even, even at the best response, we're facing a week to 10 days... Of two thousand. I think less, but again, look. Uh, okay, that's but, you know. We we can okay. debate a day here or a day. But, but look, yeah. it, it, look at another scenario, Jonathan. Okay. What happens if the Biden administration does not veto a sanction resolution in the Security Council against right. Israel? I mean, right. let's face it. We were almost on the brink of it at the last days of the Obama administration. The two, three, three, four resolution. Look, right. I, 
Well, what, what does I'm that mean? To, what does the, I'm not trying question. to be the devil's advocate for any position here. I'm just trying. Look, I was, in a way, sometimes in the past, private uh, meetings of this kind, not of that level, of course, you know. But uh, you have to take all those considerations into account. And that brings it back to the question you asked before about going to the White House. Hmm. Imagine if the White House says the Israelis, look, in the end of the day, it's your decision, but it's also our decision what to do later. That is a very direct threat. And I believe it's already being said in a subtle way. And I read from a Palestinian source that the Biden administration is freezing for the time being the decision to open the consulate in Jerusalem. Yes. yes. You know what I understand from it? This they is want what to they say, that's it. This is what they say to the Bennett government. You take your honey, leave us with the sting. Right. As the Arabs say, yeah. this is your Basal, and that will be the Basal. The Basal is, let us do in Iran whatever. We are committed to prevent them from all this, you know. And in the meantime, we are putting off a lot of stuff that you don't like to see happen, if indeed it's true. So, I mean, look, bear all this into the equation as well, because the government is composed of people with different political orientations. And some of them will say, you know what, no consulate in Jerusalem now is worth waiting for. Maybe the Iranians in the future will have the bomb. Uh I'm trying to give you a sense of, you know, What's being said in meetings like this by different people with different political orientations? And, you know, you're from Efrat. And, you know, I know Efrat. Well, ask your people in Efrat what they think about this equation. Well, the equation... I don't know what the answer will be. I don't know. I'm just saying. You'll have a different answer from every different person. Okay, two Jews, three opinions, but that's, you know... uh, No, no, but but what you're doing, both of you, and this is... we, We could go on for a number more hours with a lot, but we're not going to. Um, you, you're helping. You're helping everyone to understand. First of all, what's in front of us? I don't think anyone. There's no dispute here now that Iran is not serious uh, a, a, about its threat, and and that we shouldn't take it seriously. The question is, what are the dimensions of of of, of possible responses? And and they're multiple. That whether it's an outbreak on another front. Whether it's diplomatic, you, you raise a fabulous question, and the consequences of—I mean, one would think, okay, who cares if the if, if Israel is, is sanctioned in the United Nations? But that does make a difference, uh, and that's an important—it's an important element. And I'm so glad that you raised that. And we could we could probably come up with another with another uh, dozen or two dozen of them. Um, let me let me just turn to some questions at this point, uh, and and then we'll then we'll begin to wrap up. There's a there's a question as as about regarding the U.S. failure in in Afghanistan and and can Israel trust anything that the U.S. is talking about and consequently as which as an example will Iran even be concerned whether the U.S. is going to be involved or or support Israel? Look, the, the- Look they never discount America and play down America's role. I mean, you know, that's uh, what happened in Afghanistan is not the same as will or, not, or will not happen with regard to Iran. These are two different situations. Right now, I believe the Iranians are playing it very tough. And as Elliot said, they are 
the bazaar business people, they are the merchants, even though they look at their history as starting with the prophet Muhammad and the house of Ali, they have this long Iranian Persian tradition, you know, and patience is, by the way, part of their tradition, and we are impatient. Uh, yes, we can trust the Americans up to a point, but the question is up to what point? <laughs> of course, you know, America is the number one superpower still. Let's look at it this way. You know, some people may say, oh, Biden is weak and all that. America is a huge power. Should we trust America to the point of not doing anything on our own? That's something else. No, I would say no. Okay. Um, I agree. I, Afghanistan weakened America's diplomatic power. In other words, American threats today carry less impact than they did before. And that's a short term. That, that's the kind of thing that, that, that comes and goes. Uh, but in the aftermath of Afghanistan, certainly less. America's power, as Joseph says absolutely correctly, remains the same. We should keep in mind that the three largest air forces in the world are the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Navy, and the U.S. Army. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I mean... <laughs> Incredible power, incredible uh, power. Unbelievable power. I mean, technology. Uh, uh, I, okay. I, I, I gave a briefing to um, officers at Warner Robins Air Force Base a few years ago. And I told them, we were talking about Iran back then. This was, I don't know, five years or so, or so ago. And I told them, listen, you're the only people in the world who can launch a leisurely air campaign and destroy everything you want in Iran or anywhere else. And in between, sit and drink coffee and not, not work up a sweat. And there's because, also another point here. Two other powers which we mentioned before. I don't want to mention now. Haven't yet stolen all the American secrets. So we can rest assured that something is still left here that they don't know about. Right. <laughs> which, they did, which they did in the past and may try to do. You know, <laughs> right. Not may. They are trying. But in other words, if a, but bottom line is if America decides to act, it has... Overwhelming. That's exactly, that's okay. exactly the okay. point. Once okay. you ask America to act, then you have to accept also what they tell you. Okay. Right. And okay. it's about time that some Israelis and Jews and those who support Israel will understand that in the alliance with America, we are the junior partners. Right. Okay. <laughs> they happen to be the senior ones. You know, you know, whether you know the, we like it or not. You know, you know the, the story about um, Golda Meir with Nixon when he asked her. What would you like? Three wishes. What would you wish for from America? And he talked about the two generals. Yeah. Three of your generals. He said, our generals, your generals are the best in the world. So General Motors, General Dynamics and General Electric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, OK, so so let's move from America quickly. It's a question I wanted to ask and and we didn't we, we addressed it. And then a couple of uh, Q&A comments are coming up. What can we expect? Any help um, other than maybe flying over Saudi airspace from any of the Arab countries? Don't be sure about anything, but there might be countries that are not Arab, but Muslim on the borders of Iran. Let's not get into all that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, okay. you, know. You, you know what? Here, here I, I would say. Um, I think about at least one country that could be very helpful. Right. I, I, I can think of one too, but, but let's, let's keep in mind that all of these promises yeah. are of limited value until on after ice. the fact. Okay. Until on after ice. The, right. Okay, oh. we we had a commitment from the Christians in Lebanon 
to land in Junia that they pulled out while the boats were already... Uh, if you remember, I did not believe it in 1982 already. No, no, I'm just saying that the Americans had a promise from the Turks to allow their forces to go into Iraq, and they, they changed their minds at the last minute. Uh, you know what? Promises, promises, only, only in retrospect. Okay. Well, then we, then we will at some no, point I, have I, that I, retrospective. No, it, it, what, look, the, the advantage of what Elliot just said and what I said before or implied is that we just give you another element, another food for thought, South Wolf. You know, I mean, yes, I know that there are all kinds of countries and so on and so forth, but it is not that simple. It's right. not only there what are you ethnic want. issues, there are religious issues involved. It is so complicated. Look, that's the Middle East. I mean, well, I, I hope that what people are taking away is not what you, not just what you said, but what you didn't say, and and all of those variables. It's just another d- whole dimension that exactly. that has its own set of, of variables, and that makes Other it, variables. Exactly. that makes yeah. it complicated. And our question, and 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 the question or the title of this program, all options on the table. We we haven't ex- exhausted them, but we've we've identified a very big table, yeah, that big table and a lot of options. And it keeps and moving, we, and it keeps moving. Yeah, um, uh, gentlemen, I think this has been extraordinary. Is there any? I want to bring in Dr. Pitcher to to close us out. But any any anything that specifically jumps out that we didn't discuss that you feel a burning need to add on this? I would just say the following: Look. This is really a moment of truth. This is a moment of truth on more levels than one. This is also a moment of truth for all those Jews who believe that we are secure and safe in the world. And it, it, it is a very complicated issue that is being aroused by this discussion about Iran. And the fact that after the Soviet collapse and you saw this is it, we came, as we say in Hebrew, like, you know, peaceful and all this. Now Islamic jihadism and it's not even the Sunni Islam and the Shi Islam. That's a complicated situation because our history is complicated and our position in the world is complicated. And we are convinced that we are right, that we say it. But if that's the case, therefore this discussion does not lead to one solution. Because it's a complicated situation, cannot just black and white, and this is it. In that sense, you know, I anticipate someone would write to me later on, what's the exact solution? I don't know if there is an exact solution. Elliot? Um, just to add to that, I I don't think that looking forward there is. Ultimately, there has to be. Um, and one, one of the things that, that, that I teach about this, and I'll, I'll, I'll just in, in a sentence, to and it's really to, to illustrate your point, Joseph, not to, and, and to elaborate on it. Principles are black and white. Reality is a murky gray. And solutions are even more. No, but the but ultimately the decision is black and white. Yeah. In other words, you either decide it's shooter. If it's don't being you. made, if and when it's being made. No, but even if it's not made, that's also a decision. It's also a solution, a decision. Okay, so ultimately it's either shoot or don't shoot. And how you go from the black and white principle through that long pipeline of gray muck of reality to get to the black and white solution is really that's the issue. And issue, yeah. you you only know it at that last moment when the gun is to your head and you have to make the decision. Yeah, you saw a lot of Westerners, huh? <laughs> Listen, God, I have to do something in my spare time. Yeah.
Okay, yeah. I like it as well. <laughs> so, Elliot, uh, Dr. Allmart, uh, I, I, I had the instinct that you would be a complimentary panel. And, and uh, I, I, as we were talking before this began and having some troubles with the Zoom, who to blame? Uh, well, it depends I, I, on I, the moderator, I, so it's your credit. <laughs> I, 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 I am so thrilled that I thought to bring the two of you together on this, and, and I'm okay. grateful for you both tremendously. Um, I'd like to invite and uh, introduce Dr. David Pitcher, who is, as I said at the outset, an a advisory board member of Genesis 123 Foundation, a good friend. Um, he's an uh, uh, ortho, uh, orthopedic oncologist, uh, author on books dealing with spirituality and the intersection between Judaism and Christianity, as well as a, a huge number of medical uh, journals. And, and, and we've um, recently, just a week or two weeks ago, just released a, a, a very uh, exciting podcast on a, a program uh, regarding his book, After the Rapture. Anyone who wants information about that can come and visit. We are grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're in the area and need something, please pop in or just go and say hi and thank them for helping make this program and these conversations possible. Also, thank you to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are all made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and to build bridges. I want to give a special shout out right now and thanks to the anonymous donors who sponsored this program in honor of my birthday this week. That's very generous and thoughtful. And I know you didn't want to be acknowledged by name, but I'm really grateful for the, for the meaningful, uh, meaningful consideration and, and financial blessing. If you'd like to consider sponsoring a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please do share this with others who will find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.